Good morning, church family. And by whatever means we're able to gather together, I'm glad to be sharing this Sunday morning with you and a chance to open God's Word to uh, continue the series that Brother Doug started us on last Sunday, and we'll go through Easter Sunday, and the series is titled Seven Words of Life, some of the last phrases that the Lord spoke uh, prior to his crucifixion. And so uh, we're going to continue with that. So open your Bibles. I hope wherever you are right now, you've got your Bible in front of you. And, uh, and I want you to open it right now to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. And we're going to begin reading in just a moment from verse 39 of Luke, chapter 22. But like, like Pastor Doug often reminds us, the Bible is its own best commentary. And the Bible also is its own best uh, setting or context for everything that we study and that we read from God's Word. And so right uh, this passage we're going to read from Luke 22 to best grasp the context of what's going on, we have to go back and we're going to go all the way back to the first chapter of Genesis. You see, I'm one that believes that what we believe about Genesis chapters 1 through 3 sets the tone for how we will understand the rest of Scripture. And as you may remember, we're not going to go back and read it, but I just want you to kind of to, to recall uh, the lessons that you've learned about the, the creation of the world, what we read in the first chapters of the first book of God's Word, how God took nothing... And with the power that only God has, the power of creation, the power to take from nothing and make something, God spoke everything into being. All that we see, smell, taste, touch, it all exists because God wills it to be so. God speaks it into creation. And so God set in place stars and, and comets in the universe. Galaxies float where they are because God wills it. God took a, a, a massless, formless uh, planet and made this earth that we live on. And he populated it with all sorts of animals. And he put trees and fruits and nuts and all those things that, that, that we see now, God spoke it into existence. And then the scripture tells us that God did something that even his own word says was very good, something very special. God took from the, from the clay, the dust of the earth, and, and he fashioned man. He fashioned a man, and he called him Adam. And then God did something amazing. God breathed life into him. That's what makes man different from all the rest of creation because we alone have the breath of God breathed into us. Eternity is part of the fabric of who we are. So God made man and he made woman and he set them in the midst of an absolutely perfect world, a sinless, flawless, unstained creation. And then God did something that was remarkable, um, that, that was uh, unparalleled in creation. And what I believe to be the greatest act of love, short of, Jesus, of what we're about to read about in, in Scripture, God in the middle of the garden put a tree. 
He put a tree that was his tree. And he took man, he told man, he told woman, he said, right here, he said, all the creation is yours, but this tree is mine. This tree you're not to eat of. All the rest of the, 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 the seeds, the fruit, all the rest is yours to enjoy, to have dominion over, to, 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 to live from and, and, to, and to be a part of, of, uh, of shaping it. But this is mine and you are not to eat of it. And that was, I believe, one of the greatest acts of love because in doing so, God gave us this amazing gift that nothing else in creation has. He gave us this wonderful opportunity to choose, to be obedient, to have a will that God gave us and then gave us the opportunity to exercise that will and to choose to show love and obedience or to live in selfishness and sin by following my own will as a part of the as apart from the will of the Father. And that brings us to today's text. In Luke chapter 22, we find Jesus with his disciples on the east side of the city of Jerusalem on a, on a hill called the Mount of Olives. And there down at the, near the base of that Mount of Olives is a garden that still stands today. And that garden was called Gethsemane. And in that garden we're, is, is the setting for what we're about to read in Luke chapter 22. And I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles or scroll down to, 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 20, to Luke chapter 22 and begin re- reading with me in verse 39. And he came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, and here are those seven words of life, not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him to strengthen him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow and said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for words of life. Thank you for this word that you've put on my heart today. Thank you, Father, and I pray that as we open your word, as we study it, that it would speak into our hearts, into every one of our our fears, our anxieties, our our needs, Lord, that you would assure us and reassure us, Father, that you indeed love us, that you are good and you are strong and you call to us from across eternity. And I pray today that we would hear and respond with faith and with trust. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just, uh, just a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of being with a group of folks from our church in Israel, and we went to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
and we entered into an area, a little private area that, that uh, today is walled off, and, uh, and we were able to go into this garden, still a very serene and pristine place, olive trees and, and flowers and plants all uh, throughout that garden. And we got to go in there and we got to spend some time reading through God's Word and praying. And so we each separated, we kind of went, found our own little, own little corner, own little tree in the garden to sit under. And I found a tree and I sat down at the base of this olive tree and I began to pray. And as I prayed, I, I, I thought, I noticed what a serene setting this was. What a calming influence came over me that day as God's presence just enveloped me and I was there at peace in prayer with the Lord. And then as I began to read this passage, I realized that was not the setting that Jesus was in. It was the same place, but it was a different environment, a place that at that moment to me was serene. At this moment in history, there was a battle going on, a war of eternal significance, a war of angelic beings, a war to end all wars. The war of the ages was going on in that very garden on that very day when Jesus was on his knees in agony, in sweating drops of blood, and the war was over a war of choice, a war of will. There was an enemy who so desperately desired that Jesus would avoid the cross, would take a different path, would be tempted to say no to the Father. But with these words, not my will but yours be done, several things happened. And I want us to talk about three of those this morning. The first one, the first point that I want to make is with these words, Jesus chose you and me over his own personal safety and well-being. Jesus looked across eternity. Jesus looked across that valley. He may even well have seen the torches of uh, of his betrayer and the soldiers walking that path out of the east gate and down across the Kidron Valley, maybe working their way up towards that very garden where he prayed. And he knew what was coming. He knew the betrayer was at hand. He knew that he would be, that he would be bound and beaten and scourged and crucified. He knew what was coming. And in that garden, everything around him was trying to say, run, flee, you can get away. There has to be another way. He even asked the father, father, if you're willing, if there is another way that we can accomplish this without the cross, without being forsaken, without taking the sins of the world on my shoulders, if there's another way, let's look for it. Yet not My will, but thine be done. I often wonder, why did Jesus take Peter, James, and John with him? Over in the other Gospels, it says that the disciples went with him, but then he took the three with him over apart, and then he went apart from them to pray. Because we find there are many, many areas in Scripture where Jesus goes off by himself to pray. There are times when the disciples don't even know where he went. It'll say he got, it says he got up and he went to a desert 
deserted place or he went up on a mountain to pray alone. And so him going off alone to pray was not uncommon. Him praying in Gethsemane was not uncommon. In fact, the scripture we just read said it was his custom to go there to pray whenever he was in Jerusalem. So that part wasn't unusual uh, for him to go alone, but this time he didn't want to be alone. He, he, he took the three with him, but yet he got off apart. And I've often thought, now why was that necessary? And here's what I believe the reason that happened. It's because, it's because Jesus wanted a witness to the struggle that was going on. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus is a great high priest able to intercede for us because as fully man and fully God, but as fully man, the Bible tells us that he was tempted in every way as you and I are. That means that that you and I experience no temptation that Jesus didn't experience. No amount of greed, no amount of desire, no amount of, of, of fear. He, he was tempted just as we are yet without sin. He never failed. He never yielded to the temptation. And temptation is always comes down to this statement, my will or God's will. This path or that path. There's always a right path because God wants us to follow that path. And yet there will always be another path that we, through our own desires, through our own wills, are able to say, this is the right path, but I choose this path. And I believe that Jesus wanted us to even today, as we read through this, to understand that there were two wills in that garden. He even says so, not my will, but thine be done. And so I hope you grasp the magnitude of that because Jesus wasn't just uh, just acting automatically. He wasn't just defaulting to obedience. Jesus chose to go to the cross. Jesus chose to be obedient. Jesus chose you and me over his own suffering. So what would have happened if he'd have said no? What have, what, uh, if there really was the option for Jesus to disobey, if he really could have gotten up and walked away, what would have been the result of, of that will? If he had instead said, I know thy will, I'm doing mine. Fortunately, Scripture's its own best commentary, and we don't have to guess because Paul asked himself that same question, and we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because if Jesus had said no to the cross, then there would have been no trial, no cross, no burial, no resurrection. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 17, listen to what he says, and if Christ has not been raised... In other words, that night, in that garden, in that battle, that, that, that epic, celestial, eternal battle that was going on in that garden that night, if Christ had walked away from it and there was no crucifixion and no resurrection, then if Christ has not been raised, my faith and your faith 
is worthless. Faith makes no sense if there is no resurrected Jesus. Faith and all that we know of belief and trust and following would have made no sense had Jesus not chosen the path of obedience. Your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. That means if Jesus had walked away, we would still now and forever be locked into a sinful heart's sinful minds, sinful deeds, and a sinful condemnation of eternal damnation. They, we would be locked forever in our sins. We All who had fallen away and asleep in Christ have perished, meaning we would live a hopeless life. It would mean that all we do is we are like every other animal, every flower of the field. We're born, we live, we wither, we die, and then we suffer the, the eternal consequences of the sin that we would be forever trapped in because there was no atonement. There was no remission of sins. There was no name given under heaven by which we could be saved had Jesus chosen otherwise. But the good news is he chose. He chose you. He chose me. He looked right into the face of death, right into the the, the pain of the cross, right into that moment when hanging on the cross, the Father would turn away from him and he would hang forsaken by God and by man and take the sins of the world on his shoulders. And he stared that future while it was walking across the path to to, to betray him, and he still said, I choose you. I choose you. I will take the scourging. I will take your sins. I will carry your cross because I choose you. Friend, I know that there are so many things out there that scare us. There are so many people that betray us. There are so many things that we trust in that later fail us. But Jesus never will. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. Why? Because he chose you then. He chooses you now. He calls you. He loves you so much that he would choose the cross overseeing you and I in hell. That's how much he loves you. These are the words of life. Not my will, but thine be done. With those words, he chose you. But also there's another point I want to bring out, and it's with those words, Jesus made possible for you and I peace, pardon, life, as we know it and as we hope it to be. He made all of that possible because he chose to follow. You know, choice is a big part of Scripture. We see it all throughout Scripture. Moses stood before all of Israel as they, after they had crossed out of slavery, and he said, Today I set before you life or death. Choose life. 
that gift of love that God gave us in, in, in the Garden of Eden, that he gave Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We get to choose. Joshua would later repeat it after they had taken the promised land and marched in, and he would gather Israel around and he would say, choose today whom you will serve, whether it be the gods of Baal or the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Choose today. As for me and my house, we will choose the Lord. One day, Saul, who is breathing out hatred for all the followers of the Messiah, he marches on the road towards Damascus, and suddenly a light knocks him to the ground as the voice of the Lord Jesus speaks to him and says, Saul, why are you fighting this so much? And Saul yields his will and says, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? We are always confronted with choices, but the choice is always so clear. Our sin tries to cloud it, but the choice is clear. Life or death, prosperity and hope and and a future or dismal despair and pain and, and doubt. We get that choice because he made that choice So we choose. Our lives are basically the, the sum of our ability or our willingness to say, not my will, but thine be done. So we make little choices that have big consequences. Am I going to stay in the theater when the movie gets to doing things, showing stuff I don't want to watch? Am I going to laugh at the crude joke that I don't really enjoy? Am I, going to, am I going to say what I should say, even though it might mean being ridiculed and rejected? Choices are what we have to make, just like he had to make that choice. And we have that opportunity because of his sacrifice to choose to follow him, to choose the Father's will, to choose forgiveness and peace and love if that's our choice. But it's a choice. Now, most of the time, whenever I've ever taught or preached or, or, or shared in a group about the will of God and about how to follow the will of God, the question always comes, well, how will I know it and how do I follow? Fortunately, this very verse gives us a, a sample, an example in Jesus of how we choose well, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And it begins with the very first word of his prayer, Father. Part of the key to uh, that life abundant that Jesus promises is having a real and intimate and personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus, uh, Jesus would teach us and John would record that whosoever, whosoever believes in Him, whoever receives Him and believes in the name of Jesus Christ, God gives us the power to be made the sons of God. That means we become His children so that we can then call Him Father in our time 
of need. And that is where the, the first step to knowing God's will and following God's will is getting into that right relationship with him. If you've never done that, it's such an easy thing to do because Jesus chose what he did in Gethsemane and what he would do on the cross. All we have to do is believe and trust. We receive the gift of eternal life that God offers and become part of that family of God, Father. And then we say we follow that will by making a habit out of fervent and diligent and intentional prayer, as did Jesus. It was his custom to pray. We find him praying over and over again. People often wonder, how did the apostles, how did the disciples, how did people follow God's? When we read through Hebrews chapter 11, where did these great men and women of faith come from? Where did they get that faith? They got it on their knees. They got it praying. They got it staying in a right relationship with God and listening to his voice. Prayer isn't just us talking. Prayer is God speaking back to us. So we make prayer a fervent part of our life. We understand his will by reading this, his word, which is his breath. Paul reminds Timothy that that the Word of God is breathed, inspired by him. When we read this, we are hearing his words speak his will into us. We expect the strength that comes from him. Look, even in this moment, God sent angels to minister and strengthen Jesus in his time of crisis. And God will be there for you in your time of crisis as well. Whenever you face a difficult choice, whenever you know it's either follow him or reject him, God will give you the strength and the courage. He will never, never allows us to be tempted beyond what we are capable of enduring. Yet he will always provide, Scripture tells us, an an exit, a way out of that temptation, a way to be obedient and follow Him. We have this privilege of choosing a life that isn't, that isn't, drawn down of into the futility and the vileness and the rankness of sin because he took our sin to the cross. He bore your sin. He bore my sins. And he said he came to offer us life and life abundantly. And it begins with the words, not my will, but thine Oh Lord, would you, I I pray that you would make a habit of saying that to God, not my will, but thine, because that brings us to our last point. I'm going to finish with this. These, with these words, God gives us the opportunity to live remarkable, uncommon lives. We have the chance to do to, to live a life that is outside of the very possibilities of human endeavor. We have a life, a chance to to walk and to live in supernatural ways. Because when we turn to Jesus, when we turn to Him in faith, when we look at Him and surrender our wills, and we begin every moment and every day of our lives with the words "Not my will." 
we, we experience the power of the Holy Spirit in us and the opportunity to serve in wonderful and tremendous ways. Jesus, with this words in Gethsemane, he set in motion a plan that had been begun since the foundation of the earth. And we still today, over the next few weeks, we are going to celebrate it and and pray about it and see movies about it. And we're going to comment about the remarkable life of this man, Jesus, who was also God. But we are also have the opportunity to live as he lived, to follow in his steps, to take up our own cross and to live remarkable lives. But let me warn you, when you say, not my will, but thine be done, it's going to put in motion some things that you probably never anticipated and never expected. Sometimes God's will may take you and, and challenge you in ways you don't really want to be challenged. All right. God's will put Daniel in a lion's den. Joseph sold by his brothers into slavery. There, Jesus on a cross. God's will sometimes will put us places where my will doesn't want to go. But the joy comes in saying, yet not mine, but thy will be done. But along with those challenges comes great joy and great promise. The greatest, the greatest opportunity that you or your family has for happiness, for joy, for peace, for abundant life is coming before the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer, in humility, and sharing with him these very words, Lord, I I'm a mess. My life's a mess. Every choice I have made has complicated my life. I have sinned. I have erred. But today, not my will, but thine be done in my life, in the life of my family. Would you pray that today? Would you take that step of courage? Would you follow the example of the Savior? And regardless of how frightening it may seem right now, regardless of how unsure you feel about this, regardless of what you know this decision might cost you, would you get on your knees? Would you open your heart? Would you take all of your failures, all of your vices, all of your your sin and lay it before the Lord and say, I'm tired of being in control and making a mess of my life. Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Would you do that today? Father, you're an amazing God. Your love is without limit. I know that I have done nothing to deserve or merit your grace and your forgiveness, but I trust you. I trust this word. I trust 
Jesus. And I pray that those hearing this this broadcast today, Lord, I pray that wherever someone right now is praying this prayer, God, that you would hear the prayers of your repentant children, that you would hear us as we humbly lift up our voices and we say, Lord, not our will, but yours be done. Would you hear those prayers, Lord? Would you enter into the hearts of those praying? Would you change lives? Would you heal marriages? Lord, I ask that you would save us from our sins. We love you. And we thank you for loving us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray today. Amen.